So the reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through to 24. <clears throat> the collection for the Lord's people. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Personal requests. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it, that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Final greetings. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand.
If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to Sally for getting all those words correct. Well done. (laughs) Well, good morning, everybody. Here we are, uh, coming to the end of our inspiring and uh, informative and uh, uh, perhaps uh, quite long series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, uh, Last week, last week, we were in the lofty heights of the resurrection and the significance of that to the whole world. I've already had one complaint, <coughs> even before I got up here, that I wasn't preaching on the second half of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and instead was going to the equivalent of the church notices of chapter 16. It's amazing, actually, if you think about uh, the, um, the, the detail behind how Paul wrote this letter, that here he is, pacing up and down, and he's talking about the resurrection body. He's talking about, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, almost anticipating the Messiah uh, being prepared for those words. And then he turns around, he says, now, about the collection. And he goes into chapter 16. Actually, before we get on to that, I I was just thinking how amazing it is that these words which we've been looking at for 2,000 years and reading were prepared by somebody just dictating without any word processor, without any room for rough notes. Here he was preparing something which has stood the test of time. And for those who have some doubt about the inspiration of scripture, I think just think about that for a moment, that he could do that and give us words which are words of uh, inspiration and life that see us right through. But then, without a change of breath, he gets on to the collection. For me, it's as if Winston Churchill was to have said, whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Now, as I finish... Let me remind you about the arrangements for the Conservative Party fundraising dinner at the end of this week. (laughs) At first glance, this may not look like a very suitable way of us summing up what Paul has written in 1 Corinthians. Not fertile soil at all. A series that's taken us as... Uh, our poetic uh, leader today has told us through division and unity in the church through sexual immorality and legal wrangling, through living in a non-Christian society, through divisions over corporate worship and the fundamentals of our faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But look again at this chapter, the first century equivalent of the notices at the end of the service, and I think we will find a pretty passable summary of the main purposes of Paul's letter. And what were those purposes to tell the church in Corinth what are the essential features of being the kingdom of God in the place where they were living? 
And in this chapter, I can identify three essentials. It's marvelous. Your training as a preacher can take any passage and can produce three points for a sermon. And amazingly, these three points all begin with the same letter, so you can take them away and remember them as a peg on which to hang one thing, perhaps, which is important to you. And the first essential feature of a church is the gift of sharing. Our church needs to be a model of sharing. You look at verses 1 to 4, and the context of this is that uh, there is a collection being made for the Christians who are living in Jerusalem. Now, why would they want to do that? The reason is that Jerusalem was a place uh, where the economy was low, where those in the Jewish faith uh, who wanted to make money would go elsewhere in the Roman Empire and they would send money back. Does that sound familiar to people who are working in this country, perhaps from a poorer country? They were sent abroad in order to provide the finance. And the Christian church in Jerusalem had effectively opted out of the welfare state uh, that existed in Jerusalem. And Paul wanted to be sure uh, that Christians were not found wanting in being as generous to those who were Christians in Jerusalem as the Jews to their own. Now, there was no ethnic tie, there was no blood tie between the people in Corinth and the Christians in Jerusalem. They had come from entirely different backgrounds. But what Paul is saying here is, we are bonded to these people in a way that is deeper than even blood relatives. And they need our support, and we have the support that we can give them. And it's a really good reminder for us today that we are part of a Christian family that traverses the world. Am I the only one who, when I hear of Christians having a particularly difficult time, maybe in a country I've got no links with at all, feel a bond with them that is deeper than even people that I live with in the same street? The Christian faith gives us a bond that goes much deeper than flesh and blood. Now, his, his instructions after that are not just simply don't forget them. He goes into the detail. He says, um, everyone, and the Greek word means nobody excluded, so it's not just a generalization. Everybody should put aside money at the beginning of the week in order to go to the collection. And significantly, he says, it's not the same amount from everybody, but it's as the Lord has prospered them. How about us? Because the principle here goes much deeper than just our money. But let's start with money. God has given enough for everybody, and he's just played a little game with us by giving more to some and less to others. And he says to the Christian church, you can do the rebalancing yourself. So all of us have got resources. All of us have got uh, money which uh, is unbelievably 
prosperous compared to those that we know of elsewhere in the world and maybe even in our own society. And God says, I've given it to you in order to share. And what's true of sharing our money is sharing our gifts too. We are all given gifts that are made for sharing. And if I don't share them, somebody else is going to lack. And if they don't share with me, I am going to lack. The gifts are all for sharing. Now the gifts, we all have them. And some gifts stand out and people will say, this is obvious what that person is gifted in. And others are quieter. And very often we don't recognize our own gifts because it just seems to come naturally to us. So if you're not aware of what your gifts are for sharing, it's worth asking somebody who knows you a little better than uh, most people do. What do you feel I've got? Why have I been put on this earth? Fairly fundamental question really, I suppose, for a Sunday morning. But what gifts do you think I've got that need to be shared with others? So that's point one, that's sharing. Have you stored that away? Because we come on to the second S in terms of what this chapter tells us about being the body of Christ, and that is steering, steering. You know, Paul was an unusually, one might say, a uniquely gifted person. He was a theologian. He unpacked the death and resurrection of Jesus in a way that was... Uh, uh, without parallel. He was a leader. He appointed teams. He identified those who got particular gifts and he made sure that they were mentored and put into places where those gifts could be used. And he was a practical manager. He organized the collection. He planned his itinerary strategically and he sorted out the order of services in church. These are all gifts that are needed in the church. But he was not a one-man band. Notice that he left it to the Corinthian church to decide to whom to entrust the collection. He was well aware, as some of our leaders are not nowadays, of the corruptive nature of power. So he said to the Corinthians, you select people that you trust and they will go to Jerusalem with the collection. He urged, but he didn't instruct Apollos to visit Corinth because he believed that Apollos had something to offer, which is very significant if you think way back to October or November when we were looking at the early chapters of Corinth. There were those in Corinth who said, I follow Apollos. Others said, I follow Cephas. Others say, I follow Paul. Others, I follow Christ. And it's very clear that Apollos had extraordinary gifts uh, of uh, preaching and leadership. He could gather people together. Now, did that stop Paul saying to Apollos, you ought to go back? It could have undermined the reputation of Paul. But Paul was not there because he had an ego trip that needed to be, uh, uh, needed to be pandered to. He recognized the gifts in Apollos were appropriate. And interestingly, Apollos we hear in this chapter, decided now was not the right time, that he would do it. Maybe he realized that uh, there was rather too much attention to him uh, in Corinth and that therefore uh, he ought to 
uh, just stand back for a moment. He saw the gifts of Timothy, despite his youthfulness, and he pushed him forward in a way that allowed those gifts uh, to blossom. And he commended Stephanus, uh, one of the deliverers of his letter, and urged his readers to be subject to him. So this is steering. We need leadership in the church. Now, our church today is different from the church uh, of the New Testament. The New Testament had people meeting in households, in private houses. There were small groups. They were equivalent, you might say, to our life groups. And there are house churches around today which are thriving, and they teach us a lot. I was encouraged at Spring Harvest to go to one of the seminars which was organized through the Church of England about how to uh, plant house churches. I'd gone to it sort of assuming that these were an equivalent of turning their back on the organized church. Not a bit of it. The Church of England recognizes that in certain places the way to grow is to bring people together in groups of six, seven, eight, that sort of number and for them uh, to be the church in that area. So though our church here may have uh, become a bit more formal, here we are, we have our own building, we have more than a household of people here, there are certain principles that Paul has in this last chapter uh, which we can still apply even in our different context. It's important that we have leadership, for example, leadership at all levels. But what's of greatest importance is not the leadership gifts, but the quality of the people who have those leadership gifts. So Stephanus is not commended for his leadership. He is commended for being devoted to the service of the saints. So the question is, What are your gifts, going back to the sharing? What have you been given uh, that are for the benefit of others? And are some of those to be exercised in some form of leadership? Now, when we think of leadership, we always think of perhaps, you know, the vicar or the bishop or somebody who has a formal role. But leadership is also shown in just having conversations with people and helping them through the way in which life is hitting them. Notice that uh, when uh, Paul talks about um, uh, the three who had come from Corinth, they said, my soul was refreshed by their visit. That's a gift of leadership too. And what about accountability? Because very often if people have got gifts, they can draw people to themselves and then they can unfortunately go astray by believing the adulation that is shown to their gifts, it gives them some sort of power that they can exercise. Paul recognized that that was not to be the case. That's why he wanted the church itself to appoint people to go with the collection. And what about obedience? A rather outdated word in this world of voluntary church allegiance. If the leader tells me to do something that I don't really enjoy or don't think is right, there's plenty of other choices around, I'll go elsewhere. Now clearly if it's a matter there that seems to be fundamental to the faith, then that's right to review that. 
But if it's just not our first preference, the way in which the service has been organized or being asked to do something, that's where obedience comes in. And the church is blessed by it, and we're blessed by uh, making sure that it's not just what we want that happens to us. Okay, so that's sharing and that's steering. And the last S is sustaining. Sustaining. And we need to be a church that's in this for a long, for the long haul. And how are we going to keep going? Well, one way, of course, is to follow the teachings that uh, Paul has given us in 1 Corinthians, recognizing the significance of the cross, never uh, doubting that the resurrection of Jesus was such as to give us hope in whatever circumstances. But I don't want to focus on that as um, we come to this final point. I want to focus on the sustaining that we get by being part of a team of fellow travelers. Because this chapter uh, has so many of Paul's fellow travelers being mentioned. There's Stephanus and his family, one of the few that Paul says he baptized back in chapter 1. There's Aquila and Priscilla, fellow tent makers who worked with Paul and provided him with accommodation, first in Corinth, then in Ephesus, and finally they gave him support in Rome. They moved around. That, by the way, is very significant to see how easy it was for people to move around the Roman Empire with their jobs. And maybe one of the reasons uh, why Jesus is coming was chosen for this particular time in history to allow for that cross-flow of uh, people across the nations of the then known Roman Empire. And there's Fortunatus and Achaicus who with Stephanus brought the Corinthians letter to Paul and they say refreshed his spirit. The same word refreshed is used in Matthew where Jesus says, come unto me all you who are heavy laden and I will refresh you. So we can do Jesus' job by refreshing other people. Now it is possible to maintain the faith without being in relationship with other Christians. Some, in some countries, that's the only option they've got. But it's not the favoured option. And we are called to live in community, to live with other people and to share our faith with them and for them to share their faith and experience with us. And it's good that you're here, but doing it just on a Sunday is not enough to sustain that sense of living fellowship. Now, it may well be that the first century structure was easier because people lived uh, uh, and uh, worshipped in household groups, so in small groups. There's a message there for us to meet in small groups and to share our faith in a way that we can't do in such a large number as this. And indeed, I'm told by T Tom that there is a new house group, new life group that is uh, being set up. So maybe today the challenge for you in terms of sustaining your faith is to say, okay, I must get round to that. I must do that. So contact, uh, contact Tom in order to do that. But we don't have this same level of intimacy in this congregation. 
I'm going to challenge anybody who wants to, to give me a holy kiss after the service, which is what we're told to do in these small groups. I didn't say anything funny there, did I? I'm not sure. <laughs> but that's one way in which we can sustain our faith by living together, uh, not exclusive from the world around. We're not told to come into a monastic community, but we do need the strength that we get by meeting together. Spring harvest is another way. Uh, I, I uh, really did feel that there was real benefit for me. It fed my head and my heart, as well as my stomach, although I never had kippers. Um, but that was really good to do. And you don't need to have children to be um, allowed to go into butlins nowadays. You know, you can go as people of, um, with grandchildren and probably great-grandchildren too. And so I do hope that you know, a number of you will think, well, why don't I you know, uh, explore that and sign up for next year? So there we have it, sharing, steering, and sustaining. These are three pillars on which our church should be founded. And I wonder if any of those have spoken more loudly to you than others. just want to end with the, verse, the verses in this chapter that Paul gives to us. Um, fixed in the middle they are. Verses 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. All of those are military phrases and there's a degree of strength there that we need in the world that we live. But the one that uh, really strikes me is the next verse. And let all that you do be done in love. Not with love, but in love. It's deeply rooted in us. And that's what we're called to do in a world where there is opposition to us, where the natural response is to be defensive or to be aggressive. And we're called in love to serve them. That's the end of 1 Corinthians. Bye-bye. So we're going to respond to that by singing um, a song that appreciates each other, really. As we are gathered, Jesus is here. So would you like to stand? Thank you.